Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, That song goes out to Tovia, who's celebrating a birthday tomorrow. Happy, happy birthday a day early. And uh, you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. That was Tiana Starr with New Moon. I love her music. And uh, if you want more info about her, you could uh, look look her up on uh, YouTube. That's Tiana, T-I-A-N-A, star. And let's see, coming up, I've got three guests uh, waiting for Alan Schwartz to call in. He's the author of ADHD Nation, Children, Doctors, Big Pharma, and the Making of an American Epidemic. Really fascinating book I had a chance to to read. And uh, lots of interesting information about... Uh, you know, more than one in seven American children get diagnosed with ADHD, three times what experts have said is appropriate, meaning that millions of kids are misdiagnosed and taking medications such as Adderall or I think it's pronounced Concerta for a psychiatric condition they probably do not have. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Alan Schwartz in just a bit. So stand by and we'll bring him on shortly. All right, we are back. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. And standing by to join us is Alan Schwartz, author of ADHD Nation. Good morning, Alan. Hi, how are you? Great. I really enjoyed your book. It's so fascinating. I, I wanted to, before we get started, ask you uh, why this became you know, such an interesting topic for you. Well, from 2007 through 2011, I wrote more than 100 articles on uh, exposing the dangers of concussions in sports. Oh. And uh, for the New York Times. And, you know, I got, I felt like that job was done as a public health type of series, and I wanted to do another one. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that kids were snorting Adderall before the SATs oh. uh, because of the pressure that they felt to get good grades and pad their college resumes and get into Harvard and other Ivy League schools, I said, my goodness, that's insane. Yes, it is. (laughs) And uh, it was only through taking a look at that as just an academic pressure story that it became clear that the system through which ADHD was being uh, diagnosed and treated uh, had a lot of pitfalls, a lot of problems. It doesn't mean that ADHD doesn't exist and that the and that the, right. the medications like Concerta and Ritalin and Adderall and Vyvanse are the devil's work. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means, though, is that when the experts were saying that about 5% of children have ADHD, maybe 7 or 8, some people would attest, well, the data show that 15% of children get diagnosed with ADHD and 20%, one in five of boys nationwide. And wow. it's, it's just indefensible. Yes. And so I wanted to do some stories, and I chose to do some stories for the Times, on the mishandling of the ADHD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was met with, with uh, great either concern uh, on the part of many health officials or, for that matter, scorn from the ADHD lobby believes that there are no problems at all or the problems that exist are minimal. And, you know, there was a book in this about America, where we've been and where we're headed with respect to the treatment of this condition. Well, it's interesting. I I was reading this book and I'm thinking, look at all the history 
behind these medications and how, I mean, you must have been so fascinated by how years ago kids had these conditions and how they were treated. Well, it, is, it was interesting for me, and one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was that, it, you know, in the times there wasn't a lot of space and, and room to look at the history of this subject. First of all, Ritalin was developed in the early, in the, well, developed really in the, in the mid-40s and ultimately released on the market in the mid-50s. Uh, and Fetiman, uh, Benzedrine, was developed and marketed in the 1930s. These are essentially Ritalin and Adderall. Right. And... What you saw was starting in the 60s with a doctor named Keith Connors, who is arguably the main character, the protagonist of, of the book. You saw you know, the popularity of using specifically Ritalin grow through the 1960s to the point where there was a congressional hearing on the diagnosis of what we now call ADHD and the mis- any misuse of Ritalin in, the ni- in 1970. There was a congressional hearing about Ritalin, and really? it made national news. And throughout the 70s, it did, too, and then through the 80s. So, you know, the use of Ritalin in children for behavioral issues, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not dismissing them yes. or decrying the entire process, although people will accuse me of doing that, uh, you know, has really been a part of the parental and medical conversation for 50, even, you know, basically 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I certainly never knew that no. uh, until I researched it. And, and no matter what side of the aisle you may be on in this, uh, unfortunately, people would term it debate. It doesn't need to be. Right. Uh, you know, it, learning where all this came from was, was, was really, really cool, at least in my opinion. Well, when, from my perspective as a mother, I also know that um, my kids can be hyped up if they have too much sugar. Uh, you know, I know as a child, all the artificial stuff I grew up on, I had terrible grades. Um, so I have to stop and look at that, too. Well, look, I, I think we want to make sure not to oversimplify, and I'm not accusing you of that, right. but uh, oversimplifying the true nature of this disorder, okay? ADHD is supposed to be, you know, reserved, uh, diagnosis and, and medication is supposed to be reserved for children who are so hyperactive, so impulsive, and so inattentive that they cannot receive what would be considered an appropriate education without treatment or or, or a reasonable home life. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, though, is that those behaviors, to varying degrees, derive from things beyond just ADHD. In fact, you're supposed to rule out all sorts of other possibilities, uh, you know, derivations of the behaviors before you make the diagnosis. You're supposed to make sure that these issues do not derive from, you know, lack of appropriate sleep, mm-hmm. from, a, from a, a poor or inappropriate diet, from things considerably more serious like anxiety uh, in the child, bullying at school, Yes. Um, a discord in the home, you know, a separated family or, for that matter, a merged family, mm-hmm. uh, and all the issues that are associated with that. And, you know, like I said, anxiety. There, you know, all that coughs is not bronchitis. Sure. And all that is inattentive or hyperactive yeah. is not ADHD. Now, maybe after going through all the proper steps 
and all the investigations that are required to determine, at least in good faith, where these behaviors come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an ADHD diagnosis is appropriate, and maybe uh, treatment with the medications is appropriate. Uh, and that's the decision of the parent to, to accept and pursue. Uh, that's fine. But right. way, way too often, doctors and to a certain extent, parents, and to even less than an extent, teachers, are just reflexively saying, oh, well, I guess maybe it's ADHD. Let's try some Adderall or Concerta and see if it helps. Well, the problem with that is that Adderall and Concerta, these medications, help anybody in general uh, focus, be more what at least they they feel to be productive, Mm -hmm. stay up later. Uh, and be able to pay attention to things that they might not otherwise be able to. That's the way human beings react to these drugs in general. So it isn't a diagnostic test for ADHD just because you become more focused and productive. I mean, you might as well say, you know, give the kid platform shoes, see if he gets taller. Yes. I mean, it's, it's... Preposterous. Yeah. Now, the again, some forces within the ADHD world will attest that, oh no, you know, the medications only work with people in people with ADHD, which is just criminal. Yes, it is to say that. Right. Again, it doesn't mean the drugs are the devil's work. Right. It just means that we need to be more careful in explaining to parents what they are, what they do, and what they're for. Mm-hmm. We're doing a crummy job of that right now. Right. I mean, I think if more parents took a first initial step like backing up to what you said about let's assess what's going on in the kid's life before we jump at medication that would be really helpful but i think we're so prone to jump to medicate well i think that our our system okay of, of american society let alone medicine really values expediency yes okay let's just Fix try it. to fi- figure it out and take care of it right as quickly as possible and that's not inherently you know a, a, a poor way of handling things as long as you do it carefully, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the problem with ADHD is it is very complicated. Yeah. And it is very difficult to determine, like I said, you know, where the children's problems derive from. And when a parent just wants it to get it over with, you know, and, you know, right. they have soccer practice to drive kids to and dinner to, to fix and yes. all sorts of other issues, and the, the school's giving them a hard time. They just they want it fixed quite fast. Right. And the fact that the diagnosis and medications can, at least in the short term and perhaps beyond, help the child focus and behave better and have what at least appears to be uh, a more successful education and and, uh, and home life. Okay. Okay, you know, those right. that can happen, and that can be very seductive. Exactly, but, yeah. yeah. But I'm but sorry, do you, do you need a break? Well, no, I just, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to ask you, as children get older, do they outgrow some of these uh, symptoms of ADHD? I mean, do they need less medication, or is that not the case? Well, it, it all depends on the individual child, and there is some debate in the area, but in general... Uh, people, uh, experts are attesting that, you know, you're, you're born with ADHD, that two-thirds of the time people with ADHD, it's, it's basically inherited, and then one-third derives from some sort of, of damage or, or, or um, insult, if you will, to, to the brain. Uh, 
you know, basically at birth or soon thereafter, and uh, or for that matter, in vitro, mm-hmm. uh, or excuse me, in utero. So, you know, the fact that you have ADHD, according to these experts, okay, and I'm trying to defer to them right. in ter- when, when possible, when they make sense, <laughs> which they sometimes don't. Uh, you know, so you, if you're born with it, you're going to have it basically for the rest of your life, sure. they say. Now, you can learn to adapt and learn different skills in order to handle your situation uh, more successfully, not unlike, you know, something like depression, say, yes. Yes. where just because, you know, you have that issue doesn't mean you're, you're, you're consigned to a life of despair. Sometimes medication can be a part of your adaptation. And so, yes, some kids uh, will you know, generally in adolescence or young adulthood, sort of learn what they're good at, learn what they can handle, learn what's best for their particular, you know, individual situation and, and dare I say, personality. So it's really what we see is that when all kids are required to sit still and pay attention, you know, when they're seven and eight years old, it's that construct that can allow the ADHD tendencies to emerge and become what some people, many people would, unfortunately, consider troublesome. Right. You know, the, the human brain has evolved over more than 10,000 years, and it's only in the last hundred, some would say even, even less, right. that we have demanded that each seven-year-old brain sits still and pay attention for seven hours, and now <laughs> we're giving them less uh, less recess, less gym, uh, less, um, you know, Downtime. structured yeah. you know, stuff. And that will bring out some of the difficulties that some kids, some kids have. So to answer your question, when those demands are less forced upon the child, meaning, you know, when you get to middle school and high school, when you, you have a little bit more freedom, to pursue things more suited to your own personal, you know, brain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, so there are some, you know, horrible demands placed on high school students, okay? Oh, and intense. that's what got me into the subject, was oh. that these kids feel as if they must perform in a certain way uh, in order to exceed to the expectations of their parents and, and other mm-hmm. people. Um, that's a problem. But as people pursue their own path, I think they generally, you know, can f- they can, not always, find the difficulties that they have with attention and, and bouncing around right. less troublesome because they'll, they'll seek an environment that is more conducive to that. Well, one thing I want to also bring up is I remember in graduate school, I, I went to graduate school at Syracuse and then BU, and I took this great course, and I think the book was by Howard Gardner, uh, The Seven Different Types of Intelligences, and... I think that was called. And does that sound, does that ring a bell? And I'm afraid how, not. Okay, well, it talks about how... Uh, by the way, I've, I've been accused of having none of the seven, but that's a separate <laughs> conversation. I'm going to just uh, Google it. But So, basically, you know, we're all different. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, I'm a visual learner. So if you try to explain math to me, like those SAT math problems, my eyes cross. But if you draw something out, I'm going to get it. 
Yeah, here it is. Howard Gardner of Harvard identified seven distinct intelligences. So you, basically, you know, we could have musical intelligence, uh, visual. And so sometimes if, y if you take into consideration how kids learn or their specific interests, um, you, you can kind of tailor instruction to that. So a kid might have trouble focusing. I remember being terribly bored in history and, you know, I didn't absorb a thing. I'm sure you can relate. There was probably some class that you were completely bored to tears. Uh, but, you know, you have to kind of take into consideration what are somebody's strengths and weaknesses. Well, I, 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 you know, I think that that's true, and I'm sure that some of the misdiagnoses of ADHD, you know, can be traced to people not appreciating simply what the child is good at and interested in. Yes. Uh, now, of course, you need to be interested to a certain degree in math and English and things that children need to learn. Yes. Okay? Right. But I think that derives, you know, what, what we're referring to now is some of the, you know, forcing kids to operate in, in limits that are narrowing, that sure. continually narrow. And yeah. then also, of course, the fact that class sizes are growing and mm -hmm. individual attention to kids. You know, there are some kids who are being denied things that, that they would be better successful with. I think, though, we need to make sure that we stop short of conceptualizing you know, ADHD or, or, or severe, uh, significant, you know, what we call ADHD, um, yeah. if it is going to be termed a disability, okay, yeah. um, then we need to make sure that we don't, you know, accuse uh, them as having, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't tell a person in a wheelchair, for example, uh, you know, or, or maybe, maybe not a wheelchair, but a person, you know, with with one leg longer than the other, and, and so walks with a limp or a crutch, you know, well, I guess you have strengths and weaknesses. I mean, we afford them certain uh, accommodations yes. up to, you know, and including someone with a wheelchair having a ramp into the school. Right. Uh, we make sure that they, they are accommodated and, and allowed to thrive the way anyone else would. So if a child has real ADHD, Okay, mm -hmm. and we can all argue about what that is and where it comes from, whether it's real or not, you mm -hmm. know. But in the meantime, we're supposed to care, right. and we're supposed to make sure that we don't dismiss that trait or medical condition. Uh, you know, depending on on your, your, you know, how you view it. Yes, uh, we we can't dismiss it. These children, many of them, are suffering. And we're supposed to care, and we're supposed to step in responsibly. Sometimes right. that may be with an ADHD diagnosis and medication, but clearly we are making that diagnosis and prescribing that medication well beyond what the, even the experts say is appropriate. Right. The American Psychiatric Association, in the definition of ADHD, in the section of the manual that has been that has been buffed and refined and argued over, and after all that, with the consensus they report, is that the ADHD affects about 5% of children. 5%? Fine. Let's just accept that. Okay. And maybe because it's an imperfect system, we can maybe live with 7 or 8. Fine. Mm. And more of them are going to be boys because boys tend to be more disruptively hyperactive. Fine. Okay. But the problem is, is we're diagnosing 
team. Right. And so it is a matter of pure arithmetic that we are going millions of children beyond what even the experts, mm-hmm. the people who are supporting of the, of the construct more than anybody else, say is appropriate. And so it's right. time to not only focus on the kids with ADHD who have problems and need to be treated. Yes. We need to care about the kids who appear ADHD but don't have it, who have other problems yes. for whom amphetamine and methylphenidate are not the appropriate treatments, in fact, can be harmful. Well, that was well, you know, who's caring about them? Right, that was my next question. I mean, wh- are there side effects, and how do these kids turn out as adults who've taken all this medication? Well, I mean, some turn out fine. Okay. It, it's, a difficult, it's difficult to really know mm-hmm. the long-term effects of these medications, but just because we don't really know the long-term effects, uh, you know, doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. I mean, you know what the you know what happens fifty years after you have LASIK surgery on your eyes, right? No, what happens? Exactly, we don't know. <laughs> I'm, okay, I don't but that out. doesn't mean it's inherently evil, That's or you right. should be scared of it. Right. And so, you know, I think that if these drugs were so terrible, if kids were going to grow horns, we would know by now. I would okay? think so. What we don't have and can never have are the controlled randomized trials on the kids who are misdiagnosed mm-hmm. and mismedicated. You can't study that. Yeah. You can only just care and do your best right. to avoid it. Yes. And that's what I'm demanding. Yeah. I'm not abandoning the ADHD construct. I will accept it the way that the experts say it is. It, it is. <laughs> you know, sure. It exists. Yeah. All I'm saying is that if you want us to play by that rule, then you guys have to play to that rule yes. as well. Right. And it's never going to be perfect. It's still a relatively subjective diagnosis, and it's difficult to really suss out. And because of the perceived effectiveness of the medications, and I'm not saying they're not real, it's just they are perceived, um, then, then we, just need to be, we just need to be careful to not sort of get drunk on the possibilities that the diagnosis can afford and understand that there is a, you know, that a misdiagnosis is costly too. Mm -hmm. I mean, telling it, I mean, my feeling is that to the extent that ADHD is defined as something wrong with the brain, something off with the brain. Okay. Okay. That's what the experts say. Well, then if you're going to tell a child you have a serious disorder, there's something wrong with your brain, you better damn well be right. Exactly. You're right. Listen, unfortunately, we have to wrap up. I mean, I, I think I'd like to have you back on again sometime when you have time. Well, I'd be absolutely delighted. That would be wonderful. I, you know, this matters a lot to me, and I hope that listeners understand, you know, the ones who are saying, oh, my God, this guy didn't, is an ADHD denier. He's not. No, I don't think so. He's just saying, let's diagnose the right kids. Yes. Yes. That's all. Exactly. Where can people find out more information about you? Uh, well, uh, we have the website that's ADHDNationBook.com. Okay. Uh, Facebook is at ADHDNationBook. And, uh, you know, lots of information everywhere. And, uh, you know, I hope people accept the book as a, as a good faith attempt to bring some order to this world. Well, it's a really fascinating book. I want to thank you so much for calling in, and I'll have you back on. 
Oh, I'd be delighted. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. That was Alan Schwartz calling in to talk about his book, ADHD, ADHD Nation, Children, Doctors, Big Pharma, and the Making of an American Epidemic. If you missed any part of this segment, it will be up on my blog within an hour after I wrap. We're going to take a quick break, and then I have lots more planned for the show. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.